Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. John, chapter 21. There are, there are those who would ask, why doesn't the Gospel of John end in chapter 20? After all, the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John is the climax of the book. Thomas bowing before the Savior, declaring, my Lord and my God. The 21st chapter of the Gospel of John is necessary for the Gospel of John to be a balanced book. After all, the first chapter of the Gospel of John is the prologue. In the prologue, we see the pre-incarnate ministry of Jesus. In the 21st chapter of the Gospel of John, we have the epilogue, and in the epilogue, we see the post-incarnate ministry of Jesus. Without the 21st chapter of the Gospel of John, we would end this that has been called the greatest gospel tract that's ever written. We would uh, come to this great gospel track and end with some questions. We'd end with the question, so what is the ministry of the Savior following his crucifixion and his resurrection? But John 21 answers that question. We'd have the question, so how did Jesus deal with Peter after his denial? For after all, Peter denied the Lord three times, but John 21 answers that question as well as we see the Savior ministering to Peter after the Lord Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead. And without the 21st chapter of the Gospel of John, we would not understand what it is that Jesus expects of his disciples. His expectations are announced before he ascends up into heaven. John chapter 20 zeroes in on Thomas. Doubting Thomas ultimately declares, my Lord and my God. John chapter 21 zeroes in on Peter. In the first 14 verses of John chapter 21, Peter receives some fishing lessons. That's going to be our focus this morning. Then beginning in verse 15 to the end of the chapter, Peter's instructed as to what it means to be a good under-shepherd, as the Lord reminds Peter to feed his sheep. Follow along, please, as we read, beginning in John 21, the first verse, the title of this morning's message is, Fishing Lessons fishing lessons. John 21, beginning in verse 1, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon, Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. And they said to him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into his ship, and immediately that night they caught nothing. When the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered, No. He said unto them, Cast ye the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord. He girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, that cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came into a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And as soon then as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. And Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which you have now caught. And Simon Peter went up, and drew the net to the land full of great fishes, 153, and all there were so many, yet, not the, yet the net was not broken. 
Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine, and none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh, and taketh bread, and giveth it them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into his word. Father, give wisdom now as we look in your word. May the application of the Spirit be made to our hearts so that we might live to please you so as to hear well done, good and faithful servant. Use the message today, Lord, to bring someone to a knowledge of Jesus Christ so that they can be saved. Use the message also, Lord, to encourage every heart of every believer who's in this room this morning and needs to know what it means to depend on the Savior for fruitfulness in life. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Put a mark here in John 21 and turn back with me just a couple of chapters, the 15th chapter of John. John 15. I want us to zero in on the fifth verse of John 15 because I think the fifth verse of John 15 well presents the theme that we ought to discover as we receive some fishing lessons from the Lord this morning. John 15 and verse 5, we read, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And then this, for without me ye can do nothing. I want to ask you this morning to repeat that last phrase of the fifth verse with me aloud together. For without me ye can do nothing. All together, ready? You said it well already. Here we go. But not bad on a time change Sunday, by the way. Altogether, that last phrase, for without me, ye can do nothing. That's the theme that we see developed as we open our Bibles to John chapter 21. Without the Lord, we can do nothing. Perhaps you've heard about the man who went to the hardware store and bought a chainsaw that was promised to be able to cut down 100 trees a day. He went into the woods, and on the first day, he was bone-tired, he'd only cut down five trees. The second day, he awakened early, went out into the woods, worked as hard as he could. He got about eight trees that day. Again, exhausted, he thought, I'll give it one more try. This chainsaw was supposed to cut 100 trees. He'd only gotten eight. He went out in the woods the next day, and he worked as hard as he could. He came home late in the night. He'd only cut down 10 trees. And that's when he decided, I'm taking this thing back to the store. Back to the store he went. He said to the hardware store owner, I bought this chainsaw in the store here. It says it's supposed to cut 100 trees a day. He said, I've worked as hard as I can. I've only gotten 10. The uh, store owner took the chainsaw he, from the man. He held it in his hand. He primed it a little bit. and He, he pulled the cord and the chainsaw went, wah, 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 wah. And the man said, what's that noise? <laughs> so we open our Bibles to John chapter 21 we meet some frustrated fishermen. They're trying to do life in their own strength. (laughs) And they're finding that they don't have any strength of their own. That might sound like somebody who's in this room this morning. You ever feel like you're spinning your wheels, making no advance? You're going through the motions of life, but you seem to have no direction? As we open our Bibles to John chapter 21, we find three scenes by the seashore. And no, I'm not going to try to say that five times fast. Three scenes by the seashore that help us to understand that without the Lord, we can do nothing. The first scene that we're going to discover in this passage is a scene of futility, as the fishermen experience futility without the Lord. 
The second scene is a scene of fruitfulness. When the Lord gives his commands and the disciples follow those commands, they find themselves entirely fruitful. And the last scene is a scene of fellowship. Fortified by the fellowship of the Savior, the disciples find themselves on track to do his will and to know his blessings. John chapter 21, these first 14 verses help us understand that we can do nothing without the presence and the power of the resurrected Savior. I want to invite you to investigate these first 14 verses with me this morning in order to avoid the powerlessness trap, the powerlessness trap of self-effort, trying to do the work on our own without understanding and tapping into the source of our strength. Three scenes in the first we discover that without the Lord, all is futile. There are three sad words that end the third verse of John 21. Those three sad words are these, they caught nothing. They caught nothing. When our children were little, we went to family camp, Christian family camp, summer after summer. And one of the family camps that we enjoyed visiting was a family camp built on a beautiful lake where there was ample bass fishing. Our boys were little. We brought our tackle box with us on our poles. We saw the canoes and the rowboats. And so on the first day at the camp, I made the mistake of saying to the boys, tomorrow morning we're going to wake up early. We're going to go fishing. At about 4.45 in the morning, I was awakened by a 10-year-old who said, Dad, you said we're going to wake up early. And I discovered the difference between early and early. I can only imagine the emotions of the disciples as they go fishing in John chapter 21. It had been a long time since their nets had been wettened by the waters of the Sea of Galilee. John names five of the seven disciples who went on this fishing incursion. Verse 2 tells us that Peter, again, was the leader. And then there was Thomas. He wasn't going to be left out this time. Nathaniel and James and John and two other unnamed disciples. All of these men were experienced fishermen. They were not rookies. They were going out into the Sea of Galilee It would have been exciting for them to push the boat off from the shore, to man the oars, to make sure their their nets were ready, to light the torches that would attract the fish in the nighttime fishing. In a very real way, what they experienced that night parallels what we experience in our lives when we try to do life without the Lord. We find ourselves in a futile situation, futile despite what they had. And they had much as they went on this fishing trip. Their trip was futile despite what they had. They had expertise. Back in Matthew chapter 4, we discover that Peter and Andrew were co-owners of a fishing business. And Luke chapter 5 tells us that James and John partnered with them in that fishing business. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and Peter and Andrew were commercial fishermen. They had lots of experience. Nathaniel, who's also named here, came from a town called Bethsaida, which means the house of fish. These men literally seemed to be born to fish. They knew what it was to catch fish. They were experienced fishermen. Reminds me of the story I heard about the pastor who was born to fish. He just loved fishing more than just about anything. Seemed like he loved fishing more than 
doing pastoral work, and he found himself at a quandary, always wanting to be on the lake, until he bought his new boat, and ingeniously, he named his new boat Visitation. He named it that so when people called the church office, the secretary could say, I'm sorry, the pastor's not here, he's out on visitation. Some people are like that. They're born to fish. These men have all kinds of experience. They were successful fishermen. Listen, you can have all kinds of experiences in life and still spiritually find yourself struggling as a parent, as an employee, as a husband, as a wife, as a church member, as a witness. Other experiences in life are valuable, but when it comes to spiritual success, Jesus says in John 15 and verse 5, without me you can do nothing. Jesus isn't really all that impressed with your degrees. Jesus wants you to live a life of dependence. While he gives you talents, he really wants you to live a life of trust. And while There are attainments that ought to be celebrated. Jesus wants our affections to be placed on him. He said, without me, you can do nothing. They had expertise. They had enthusiasm. I love reading verse 3. Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. And they say unto him, we also go go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately. (laughs) There was no waiting around. There was no lack of enthusiasm on the part of these men. They were all in Sadly, they found themselves like the Israelites who, after seeing the walls of Jericho come down, there was another little village, the little village of Ai, and having known the success at Jericho, they thought it won't take too many troops to go over there and take out Ai. So they moved toward Ai, expecting everyone to run when they encircled the city, and instead of seeing the enemy run, the children of Israel ran. There was sin in the camp. They'd not asked the Lord with regard to where they should be going and what they should be doing. There was no prayer and there was no dependence. They found out in that Old Testament scene something that we find out in our New Testament lives, that without Him, we can do nothing. These men who were out there on the lake had endurance. We read in verse 4 that when morning came, they'd fished all night and they'd come up empty. You ever found yourself without an exit strategy? in what seems to be a perpetuated life of failure, spiritually spinning your wheels, like riding a rocking chair, lots of motion, but no accomplishment. That's how it is when we seek to serve the Lord without His blessed presence. Jesus has made it abundantly clear in John 15 and verse 5, without me you can do nothing. And John 21 stands as an illustration to that fact. That you can have experience, and you can have enthusiasm, and you can have endurance. But if the Lord is not in it, you can do nothing. Years ago, I was on assignment from my wife and others to pick up some furniture, and my father-in-law was with me, and we were driving a large van. This particular van had a gas gauge that didn't work, and so whoever drove the van needed to remember to look in the little notebook where... The last fill-up was recorded and recognized that at about 300 miles, you'd run out of gas. We picked up the piece of furniture, and it struck me I didn't check that little notebook before I left to pick up this piece of furniture. And so when I opened it up as we were traveling home, I said to my father-in-law, uh-oh, 
We were out in the middle of nowhere, and I noticed that we were over 300 miles since the tank was last filled. And we were going up a hill out in the country. And as I said, uh-oh, I saw my father, and I'll reach into his pocket. He wasn't much for stress at that point in his life, and he pulled out a little container. It looked like a bullet on the end of his uh, keys, and that's where he kept his nitroglycerin. Because while he would smile on the outside, his heart would go pitter-patter when he went through times of stress. So when I said, uh-oh, looks like we're running out of gas, he was immediately running for the nitroglycerin, which made me feel kind of bad. As I said that, the van started to do a little lurch on us, coming to the top of the hill, and the speed began to slow down, and we stopped. We were out of gas. I looked at my father-in-law. He hadn't taken the lid off the nitroglycerin yet, and I said to him, Dad, we, we need to pray. So I prayed, and I said to him as I looked around, we're a long way from a gas station. I think it's a mile and a half or two miles from here. But you know, that hill right there, if I can push this van up over the hill, if you'll get in the driver's seat here, I I think if I can push this van up over the hill, we can coast a long way. I know it goes down a long way. So we swapped places. He got in the driver's seat, and I was over on the passenger side. And sure enough, I was able to push that van just far enough to crest that hill. And I jumped into the seat next to him, and I said, now don't use the brake until we get some speed going, all right? Again, no nitroglycerin. He was wide awake. We began coasting down that hill, and we coasted a mile and a half to two miles all the way down until we rolled in front of a gas station. And I pushed the van about 10 feet in front of the pump, and we filled the the tank. My father-in-law was a baby Christian at that time, and I was able to give testimony to him of the power of prayer. And he reminded me that the power of prayer is great, but filling the gas tank is better. A lot of us are like that in our lives. We're running out of gas and we have to be reminded, Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. Without the presence and the power of the Lord in your life, there's only the stress and the anxiety of coming alongside and trying to do work that we can't do. Zechariah says in chapter 4 and verse 6, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And so we're challenged in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 to be filled with the Spirit. Are you filled with the Spirit? Are you trying to do life on your own, in your own human energy? Yes, these disciples had experience, they had enthusiasm, they had endurance, they had the right equipment. They had plenty of human energy, but they were failing. They fished all night and they caught nothing. Their trip was futile despite what they had, and their trip was futile because of what they did not have. What didn't they have? Well, they had no focus on Jesus. Look at verse 4. When the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. It's a sad morning when you can't recognize Jesus in your life. It's a sad time, a a dark morning indeed, for the believers to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of his faith. You wake up in the morning thanking the Lord that you're a believer. Setting your mind on the things that are above, as we reminded from Colossians chapter 3 this morning and in song. Saying, Lord, thank you for the night that you've given to me. We will always fail if we fail to focus on Jesus. They had no focus on Jesus and they had no command from Jesus when they went fishing. 
So Jesus asked them in verse 5, children, term of endearment. He wasn't belittling them. Children, have you any meat? And of course their answer comes ringing back over the waters, no. Just as there are some here today who are discovering that your efforts in life are futile, if you're depending upon your own experience, your own energies, your own endurance, your own equipment, Jesus now says to them in verse 6, cast the net on the right side of the ship and you will find. When they fail to focus on the Lord and fail to hear his command, we will surely, inevitably, and certainly fail. Why? Because Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. So we ask the question this morning as we look at this first scene on the seashore. Are you trying to do life without Jesus? Are you inviting him into your daily experience? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Are you drawing near to the one who said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth? If you've never looked to Jesus for salvation, if you come into this room this morning, Isaiah chapter 45 so clearly and wonderfully says, look unto me, look unto me, look unto me and be saved, all ye ends of the world. Every person on this earth can look to Jesus on the cross of Calvary who died in our place for our sins, can look to the one who was buried and rose again the third day and be saved. You can't earn your way into heaven. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but it's according to his mercy that he saves us. And the Bible makes it ever so clear, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The first scene in this fishing scene is a scene of futility. And the second scene by the seashore is a scene of fruitfulness. For we discover in this passage that with the Lord all is fruitful. Again, verse 6, cast the net on the right side of the ship and you will find. And so they cast therefore and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of the fishes. I want us very quickly to make two observations as we see the fruitfulness that the Lord has brought into the lives of the disciples. First, we ought to consider what was required for the disciples to be successful. The success of the disciples began with an honest answer. It required an honest answer to the simple question, children, have you any meat? Have you caught any fish? And these Proud commercial fishermen who had much life experience in the Sea of Galilee had to answer the question humbly. They had to answer, we haven't been fruitful at all. We've labored in vain. And so the Spirit of God meets with us today as we look at this scene by the seashore. And he asks us this question. Have you been fruitful in your workplace as a witness? Have you passed along your faith, not only your faith, but your convictions to another generation? Are you expecting the blessings of God because you are a peacemaker and God has used you in relationships to bring peace? Is your mind free from the sensual scenes of this world that pollute the heart and cause the peace of God to be ever so much disturbed? Have you any meat? And how will you humbly respond? I have none. James says in James chapter 4 and verse 6, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. 
The work of the Spirit of God begins in the life of the believer when we acknowledge, Lord, without you I can do nothing. I don't have that testimony I desire to have. I don't have the capacity or the wisdom to be the parent I ought to be. Lord, I'm frustrated as a church member. Without me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. The success of the disciples required an honest answer to a simple question, and then the success of the disciples required immediate obedience. Jesus said, cast your net to the other side of the ship, and you shall find, and we read, they cast therefore, and now. And I circled the word now in my Bible. Now they were not able to draw because of the multitude of the fishes. Their immediate obedience brought his immediate blessing. Understand, we understand this, don't we? Had they been slow to obey, fish don't wait around to be caught. When the school was swimming by and Jesus said, cast the nets, it was immediately the time for the blessings to be enjoyed. And sometimes we miss the blessings because we're slow to respond in immediate obedience to the Lord's commands. Responding immediately allowed these seven fishermen to push past their own logic. They'd been fishing all night and they'd brought in nothing. To push past their own weakness. Have you ever taught your children to float on the water? We have a son-in-law who had never learned to swim. And so I had the privilege of working with my son. Well, I don't know if it's privilege. I had the challenge of working with my son-in-law who literally was afraid to put his face in the water. To tell him, okay, now listen, to float, you have to expend no energy. You can't fight it. You just have to lay back and enjoy it. Even so, in our Christian lives, when we know the direct commandments of the Lord, it might not strike us as logically that wise. But when we have His direct commandments, we have to rest immediately and totally and completely in obedience to the Savior's commands. And we rest there because we know without Him, we can do nothing. I want you to notice also the ramifications of the disciples' success. Verse 11 says, Peter went up and he drew the net to land and it was full of great fishes, 150 and three. What is it that the Lord wants us to learn in this simple story that comes at the end of such a powerful gospel, the gospel of John, the 21st chapter, he wants us to understand that he wants to bring his blessings through us. With God, all things are possible, Matthew 19 says in verse 26. Jesus could have filled that boat with fish without them ever throwing a net into the water, but he didn't do his work that way. He doesn't do his work that way. He wants us to know that blessings come when we obey and participate in the ministry that he's given. He wants to bring his blessings through us this past week. Jeff Lefew and Michael O'Neill and I had the privilege of being in India. Our missionary, G.S. Nair, who's been a missionary in Kerala, South India, for almost 50 years. 50 years ago, he started in ministry, but almost 50 years he started his church. 47 years since the founding of his church, 50 years since he started out as an evangelist. In those 50 years, the numbers are staggering what the Lord has done. In those 50 years, he's had the privilege of starting four colleges seeing the graduates of those colleges go out and start 5,000 churches. 
We've seen 36 extension schools started, multiple orphanages started, all these ministries. And so while we were in India, some of the men who have been with Brother Nair for over 40 years favored him by recognizing that 50 years ago he set about to begin ministry and 47 years ago he began his first church plant and they presented a plaque to him and one of the men who presented this plaque to this aging ministry warrior made this statement and I found it to be a special, special blessing. He said, we've known Brother Nair for all these years and he's always, always happy. You never find him down. He's just, he has a lot of burdens he carries, but he's always rejoicing. Several statements to that end were made, and I reflected back on knowing Brother Nair for 30 of those years, and what a blessing it was to see him smiling from ear to ear as he reflected with those men what God has done through his ministry over these many years. God wants to give you the joy of participating in ministry. He wants, while he could put the fish in the ship without your help. He wants to give you the joy of participating actively as you obediently, submissively depend upon Him, knowing that without Him you can do nothing. There's another ramification that we discover in this passage that He wants to bring His blessings in abundance. John, you remember, is writing this gospel as an old man. This is the last of the four gospels to be written. John was a youngster when he was called of Jesus to follow after, and now these many years later, some think probably 30 to 40 years later, when he writes this gospel, he, he notes as the Spirit of God leads him, they were big fish, and there were 153 of them. He hadn't forgotten, because he knows the Lord whose compassions fail not, and His mercies are new every morning. There might be somebody in this room this morning who's 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years out as a Christian. You look back over your life as a Christian, and this morning, there's a burden that says, I've accomplished so little. Friend, the simple truth of John 21 is this. With the Lord, obedient to His commandment, participating as He gives you commandment, He can make you fruitful. R.V. Clearwaters was a prodigal. Having grown up in western Canada, he'd run away from home and he rode the rails as a hobo in the early part of the last century. After a long time, years running away from home, he finally turned back and went home to western Canada. He was taken affectionately into his home. His parents had many children. He began to work a little bit on the farm, and one day on the farm with a wagon loaded with rocks. He snapped the reins and the horses bolted and his little brother fell off the wagon and the wagon rolled over his little brother and his little brother died. He had nothing to show for his life but loss and sorrow, questions. Shortly after that, he was invited to an evangelistic meeting where he heard the gospel. He knew himself to be a sinner. He knew that he needed Jesus Christ as his Savior. He asked Jesus to forgive him of his sins. He was saved and forgiven on his way to heaven. Shortly after that, God seemed to pull in his heart that he ought to give himself to serve the Lord with the years that he had left. And so he went off to Moody Bible Institute, graduated in three years from Moody Bible Institute. At his graduation, he was honestly able to say he'd already memorized one-tenth of the New Testament. 
From there, he went on to consider other educational opportunities, pastored in Iowa, pastored in Minnesota. He was the founder of the seminary that I attended, Central Baptist Theological Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Also founded Pillsbury Baptist Bible College in Owatonna, Minnesota. Also started a radio ministry, bought and secured a radio license for Minneapolis-St. Paul, Minnesota. That radio ministry is ongoing. That seminary ministry is ongoing. He did all those things, the founding of a college, the starting of a seminary, and the beginning of a radio station after the age of 50. And he has fruit in heaven that will abound. Don't let Satan cause you to think that because your days are not as long as somebody next to you that you can't be fruitful. Without him, you can do nothing. But friend, this morning... If the Lord is pecking at your heart and asking, have you any meat? And you're saying, I'm frustrated as a fisherman, I'm as a spiritual warrior, not seeing the success that I'd like to see. Then I believe with all my heart, you can ask the Lord for that help and that forgiveness and know the blessing of fruitfulness. In this passage, we have one more scene to visit. visit. I want us to consider that with the Lord, there's fellowship. With the Lord there's fellowship. We know beginning in verse 7, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It's the Lord. So John is speaking to Peter. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And as soon then... As they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals and fish laid thereon and bread. And Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish that you've now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, 153. And for all there were so many, yet was was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth to them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples, and after that, he was risen from the dead. This is the second time Peter has abandoned ship. You recall Peter abandoned ship before and walked on the water. This time he's abandoning ship and walking through the water. As he walks through the water, I believe there are some very powerful principles that are being presented to us. I want us to see that Peter prepared for the fellowship that he was about to enjoy. Verse 7. Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He girt his fisher's coat upon him, for he was naked. He did cast himself into the sea. Now you need to understand that Peter was not completely naked. Peter was fishing as the other fishermen would fish. His loins were girt about. He was shirtless. And yet when he jumps into the sea, he makes sure that he isn't just in his loincloth, he makes sure that he's taking his fisher's coat with him because after all, he's presenting himself to the Lord. Just as Adam and Eve intuitively knew that they ought to cover themselves up in the garden, Peter seems to intuitively know that when he presents himself to the Lord, he needs to put something on. I've been to India several times and in southern India, men wear a loincloth when they work called a mundu. And when you come near to them in humility to show respect to others, they will release the top knot on it and it it will fall down as a skirt around their ankles. That's a traditional way for a working man to show respect to others who are coming 
to talk to him in his garment. And that's exactly what's happening here. Peter intuitively and respectfully covers himself as he enters into fellowship with the Lord. And there's an important principle, I think, that we discover in verse 7. Just like Peter, all of us should prepare ourselves when we enter into fellowship with the Lord. Whether it be at home, before we open God's Word, when we humbly say, Lord, open my eyes so I can receive the things that are in your Word. Or humbly bowing our knees to pray when we gather before the Lord. There's a preparation that is modeled here. Peter is preparing himself as he grabs his coat, brings it through the water because he's meeting with the Lord. Now this morning, we know that Jesus has said in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20 that where two or three are gathered together in his name, he's in our midst. I've got a question for you this morning. Is Jesus here today? Yes. He's here in a special way because he's with us always, even at the end of the age. But in a special way, he's with his people when God's people gather together. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, listen now. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says in verse 1, Keep thy foot when thou goest into the house of God. Be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. Let me read that again. Keep thy foot when thou goest into the house of God. And be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. There are some who go into the house of God without preparation. And they, when they go without preparation, don't keep their foot and they give the sacrifice of fools. Do you make preparation when you enter into the house of the Lord? Do you prepare your heart? Prepare your will? Prepare your body by getting a good night's sleep? And I know that's hard to ask on time change Sunday. But do you think through the Lord's going to be there in a special way? And do you even think through the topic of what shall I wear? That seems in our generation a strange topic, doesn't it? Did you know that the 96th Psalm says in verse 9, Oh, worship the Lord, the King James Version says, in the beauty of holiness. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The New American Standard Version translates that same verse this way. Worship the Lord in holy attire. The New English Translation, same. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Psalm 96 and verse 9. The Revised Standard Version, same. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Why do those other versions say it in a different way? Because the nuance of the word seems to bring with it the idea of be prepared. Think through. Now, there's no dress code when we come together to worship. Nobody says that everybody has to have a suit and tie and look like the pastor. There's nothing in God's Word that says every woman has to be in a skirt. That would not be fitting, for there are many cultures where people don't own suits and ties, and many cultures where women don't own skirts. But there's a preparation that's being modeled by Peter Reiterated by Ecclesiastes, keep your foot when you enter into the house of God, the principle being, you may make some preparation. Jesus is here. And that preparation is modeled in the 96th Psalm. Have you ever scratched your head and wondered, why is it that for generations and around the world, when people gather together in the Lord's house, 
they look different than when they are hanging out at a ball game. If you've ever asked that question, I just gave you the answer. The answer, the answer is found in the principles of God's Word. We live in a generation, listen, we live in a generation that's losing the power of God because they've lost reverence for God. And in Hebrews chapter 12, you'll read in the 28th verse, we are those who serve the Lord with reverence. This is New Testament. We are those who serve the Lord with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. The 28th verse of Hebrews chapter 12, we are those who serve the Lord. The Greek word serve there is the word lutreo. It's also translated worship, so I'm going to read it that way. We are those who worship the Lord with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12 verse 28. That's New Testament. Question. Do New Testament churches in our generation, especially in America, understand the principle of reverence when we gather together? Parent, let me ask you the question. What are you doing to pass along a conviction of reverence to your children? And if you can't explain why God's people dress up a little bit when they gather, because one, he's in our midst also. Two, we don't want our foot to come into the house of God without consideration, lest we offer the sacrifice of fools. Three, Psalm 96 and verse 9. We understand worshiping the Lord in a beauty of holiness means even thinking through how we present ourselves. Four, we understand that Hebrews chapter 12 says in verse 28 that right worship is reverent worship, and somehow you have to define that, and once you define it, you can defend it. Until you can define it, you'll not defend it, and you'll lose it. Where there's no fear of the Lord, there's no beginning of wisdom. And so we would be a congregation together that would challenge one another and say, not with a particular dress standard that's legalistically presented. I don't want any part of that. But I don't want any part of worship that doesn't give consideration to how am I presenting myself when I come into the house of God. When we come into the house of God, we learn from Peter. Peter intuitively, immediately wraps himself with a garment. Why? He's coming before the resurrected Savior. He's making those preparations. There's something else I see in this passage, and it's wonderful. He's participating in the fellowship. Did you notice as we read this passage that Jesus had already prepared the meal? Verse 9 says, as soon as they were come to the land, they saw a fire and coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus had prepared the meal, but then look what Jesus does. The meal's already ready. The fish, is, the fish are simmering on the fire in verse 10, and Jesus invited his disciples to bring the fish that they caught. Friend, Jesus has provided everything already, and yet he invites them to bring the fish that they caught. What are we learning? For our salvation, Jesus has provided everything that we need. He has done it all. Jesus paid it all, and all to him we owe. And yet, he asks us to participate. Participate in service for the Lord. That we can participate in the rewards as well. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you receive that salvation as a free gift. Now, Jesus invites the disciples to come and bring their fish as well. He's asking them for their free will offering, if you will. And so what do we learn in this time of fellowship with the Lord? There was preparation for fellowship, and there was participation 
in fellowship because they recognized that they were fellowshipping with the resurrected Savior. Years ago, I was in a very humble village in Mexico. And I saw a Mexican man coming in for a church service on a Sunday morning. It was obvious he was not a wealthy man. And yet his clothes were clean. He had prepared himself thoughtfully for coming to church that day. He was carrying a metal box, and he took that metal box, and as the offering was received, he poured out that metal box completely. I couldn't help but see it. It was kind of noisy. And afterwards, I asked the missionary about that man, and the missionary said, that man works on the street. He sells fruit juice. He has a little bicycle with a fruit juice cart on the front of it. He sells fruit juice on the street. And he said he just poured all that he'd taken in yesterday into the offering today. Every penny of it. It was astounding to think about that. So it is around the world, folks, that those who know the fellowship of the resurrected Savior who are privileged to participate in fellowship as believers prepare themselves for that fellowship. And they participate in that fellowship. Because after all, our lives are short and the highest opportunity and obligation that God has given to us the opportunity and obligation of worship. And yes, we can do that privately, but friend, when we do that publicly, His name is praised in our community. May God help us to prepare and to participate in worship. Why? Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. And so it's discovered in John 21 in these first 14 verses, in three simple seeds by the seashore, that without Him life is futile, with Him life is fruitful, And because of him, we can have wonderful fellowship. May Jesus Christ be praised. And may we know the blessing of knowing that in him, so much can be accomplished. And without him, we can do nothing. Will you stand with me, please, as we pray? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and no one looking around. Father, this morning, we bow before you, thankful for your word thankful for the joy of participating in the house of the Lord and asking, dear Lord, today that you be pleased with our worship, for you alone are worthy. And to think that the resurrected Savior would fellowship with fishermen, the calloused hands and rough conversation of these from Galilee, Lord, we're humbled to know that you're in our midst also today. And so, Lord, I pray you'd receive our worship, our love, our affection, the greatness of our gratitude as we bow before you today. We do so reverently that we pass along that conviction to another generation so that no one would offer the sacrifice of fools when they come into the house of the Lord. And Lord, today I would pray that that one who's in this room today who assesses life and says, I have so little fruitfulness that today they would discover the key to fruitful living spiritually is dependence upon the Savior.